0: I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Please be seated. As many of you know, I had the incredible good fortune of spending the first 10 years of my ministry in the Diocese of North Carolina, where Michael Curry was my bishop, and um, One learns certain lessons in preaching from being around Michael Curry on a regular basis. And the number one lesson is, don't be the one preaching the day after Michael Curry preached. (laughs) But every priest in the Diocese of North Carolina knew what it's like to kind of climb up and say, hello, you got me today. But I, I am, I am riding high after the incredible service yesterday. The music was incredible. The preaching was fantastic. Please go and watch it if you haven't seen it yet. the The gathering of people from all over the diocese of Ohio, from uh, colleagues, priests, bishops from all over, all over the country, all over the church. It was a celebration of ministry that should propel us to a season of new life. And I can tell you this, I will not, I will never hear the song lyrics, come on baby, light my fire, (laughs) in quite the same way. We we didn't just get together to do a thing, though. We didn't just get together to ordain a bishop, you know, check it off the list. We've accomplished that. We were there to be inspired and to deepen our faith so that we can though, then go and make a difference in the world. The stated purpose was to make a bishop, the actual one was for all of us to rally and then get out there to be the hands and feet of Christ. And if you watched, if you were there, or if you watched it uh, online, you may be feeling, as I am, inspired. To now set some goals for what this new season of ministry might just look like. Maybe maybe you're feeling like setting some goals in in your own journey of faith. Maybe you're thinking goals how we as individuals or as we as churches or a cathedral can support Bishop Ann in her new ministry here in the Diocese of Ohio. Even before the consecration, Your vestry got in on the action, as just a few weeks ago, we went off on a mini-retreat, and while we were there, we set some SMART goals. Does everybody know what a SMART goal is? Right? It stands for something. Sacred, Mission-Oriented, Apostolic, Reconciling, and Transformational. No, 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 no. It's uh, actually Specific measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound. I like the first one better. I like that one. All of this is good stuff, all of it. But there is something in this morning's gospel about the devotion of the newly baptized to a a set of practices that, that really formed their faith. There is something about that that makes me think of the writer James Clear. Now, James Clear is not a theologian. Uh, He's a contemporary writer. He he blogs and he writes and he TED Talks about the power of habit. And his book is called Atomic Habits. Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results. I know, you want to run home and read that immediately, of course. It sounds self-helpy. Um, but there is actually there is substance to it because his experience and his research ha- has led him to the conclusion that in building the lives that we want, in coming together to, to create, co-create and build the, the world, the community, that we believe is what God envisions for all of us, he says, you do not actually rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. We love goals and we need goals, but listen for the insight there into human nature. We do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Now let's turn that around into a more positive statement. Habits and practices that ground us In the love of God, practices that give us life can indeed change us and actually change the world through us. In the book of Acts, what we think of as the story of that first apostolic age, which is very much the framework, the paradigm in which we should understand what we just did yesterday, which was raise up someone who, is, who carries the apostolic witness of Christ to the diocese of Ohio, to the whole world. That's what we did. Well, among those who devoted themselves to, one, the teachings of the apostles, two, fellowship, three, the breaking of bread, and four, the prayers. Among those, those folks, there was a spirit of warmth and generosity and even communal living. In the story, all who believed, they were together. They held things in common. They sold their possessions. They gave away the proceeds of those sales. They gave their money away. They worshiped together. They ate together and and they grew in numbers. Sounds beautiful, doesn't it? And, and um, we might, and by we, I mean preachers and stewardship leaders, we may be tempted to say that this was the golden age of Christianity. This was the time when we just had it right, and we have been messing it up ever since. Well, well, first of all, that idealized time, if it ever happened quite that way, it lasted for like maybe two weeks, like at the most, and, and then james Gary he, Neil Hansen points out this, even this was not the final model for the church, not even in the book of Acts. By the time we read a few more chapters in, we see it becomes a little more human, right, a little more uh, that we something we recognize. in fact, he cautions us against looking at this golden age, golden age, in air quotes, and mistaking an effect for a cause. Rather than than looking to this perfect community and saying, we simply need to model ourselves on that and and we'll come to faith, he says, no, no, we have that backwards. Numerical growth and sacrificial sharing, those are the effects of a life-changing cause, not the cause of it they grow out of the rich faith of those early Christians and we would be wise not to look at them and try to carbon copy what they do but rather to look at what is what are those practices what are those habits what are those ways of life that built that faith and so what we do is we go a little bit earlier just one paragraph in the gospel, and what do we see? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to communion and to the prayers. Thank goodness that is in our baptismal covenant, or else we might have just breezed right on past that. But you know, if you're a good Episcopalian, your antenna goes up when you go over this and you know, beep, 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 oh, that's something we need to pay attention to. It is the earliest listing of of characteristics beyond the confession that Jesus is Lord that identified the church as the church. Think about this. 300 years before the creed was the creed, the church was the church. And not just because of belief, but also because of what they did together day in and day out, because of what they were devoted to. Together. But you know, we have to ask why? Why? Why did they come together on a regular basis to do these things? Did they do it with a plan to build the church and, and to really um, fill out their parochial report so they could hand off to their new bishop coadjutor uh, how great things are going? Did they pray and study together and break bread? Did they do that so that they could ritualize this new thing or so that they could feel holier or or more worthy than they did before they were doing all this? No. No, they did all these things, these, these four sacred pillars of practice. That's my word. That's not anything official. They did these things To tune their hearts to sing praise. To better see and know and hear the shepherd who was calling them each by name. To sharpen their own sheeply hearing so that they might know and share the love of God in every aspect of their lives. And just as each of us do, those early Christians knew what it was like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Where evil and suffering are there, whether we fear it or not. And they seemed to know, or perhaps they were coming to know, that walking with Jesus means... Having a shepherd who guides us through those valleys, keeping our fear at bay. Because we all know that without that loving voice, fear would consume us or simply stop us in our tracks. Think about this. Think of the sheep who are traveling through the scary valley. And what does fear do to us? Fear paralyzes us. Fear freezes us up. And that's exactly what the sheep didn't need to be doing. They didn't need to, you know, stop all of a sudden. They needed to keep on moving. And that's what the good shepherd does. Now, I I know that we talk here a lot about communion and prayer. And since yesterday's liturgy was 2 hours and 45 minutes... I'm going to be kind, and I'm only going to talk about the other things that we don't talk as much about, apostolic teaching and fellowship. Those who were baptized devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Hansen says that a mark of authenticity in a church is what it does with those early writings of, Christian, writings of those early Christian leaders Now, we're talking mostly here about Scripture, though we know now that there's a lot more that was written down. There were a lot more witnesses than just those four evangelists or even Paul or the ones whose writings we know well. But note how sparse and unadorned the mandate is. Specific theological perspectives are not specified. But active effort is. We are called to dwell in Scripture. That means we are supposed to hear it, to proclaim it publicly, to read it privately, to reread it, to study it, to argue it, to argue about it, to question it, to be challenged by it. And above all, to listen for the Spirit and the grace within it, to be devoted to it. Those who were baptized devoted themselves to fellowship as well. Now, this means a little more than the third sacrament of coffee hour. Though coffee, if we don't have the coffee hour or however we practice fellowship, it's a lot harder to get to those deeper moments where we really get to know one another. And we are rightly sensitive to language that is overly gendered. And a quick look at the word fellowship does sound a little bit that way to us, but its etymology is actually neuter. In the Old Testament, fellowship referred to women as well as to men. And our present word comes from the Middle English word meaning partner, one who shares with another regardless of gender. In the New Testament sense, Fellowship means the work of relationship. It means efforts to include others. It means intentional habits of hospitality and inclusion. It means devotion to those habits, in fact. I love what Hansen writes about it. With genuine devotion to fellowship, people are made to feel at home, growing close enough for genuine rejoicing, encouragement, and support. And what what does that sound like? It, It sounds like church, doesn't it? That sounds like what we want and dream and hope for this to be. Church is something that should feel like home. But when that fellowship is shaped by something more, when it is shaped by communion, when it is shaped by study and worship, It becomes something different. It can grow and transform into something new and holy. It becomes beloved community. A glimpse of heaven. A taste of God's radical grace and inclusion and hospitality. Right here in the moment now. Those who believed were devoted to the pillars of practice, dwelling in the teaching of the apostles, joining their companions in holy fellowship, breaking the bread of communion and rooting their lives in prayer. This isn't a goal, and it isn't a strategic plan, though it will help us to go out into the world. It will help us to find some order around how we live our lives together. It will help us to set some goals. And we just consecrated a bishop yesterday, and the building and maintenance of those pillars is very much her job description, but it's also our job description as well. But as Simon Sinek reminds us, always return to why. Why? Why do we open Scripture together? Why do we break bread? Why do we tell our stories over coffee? Why do we pray and worship? We do these things to prepare our hearts for the gift of Jesus. Through the life of the Spirit and through one another, Jesus came to be with us. Jesus loves us. Jesus guides us through the gates and through the frightening valleys to places of sanctuary and peace. Why? So that we might have life and have it abundantly.